are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Boy, I am thankful this morning for all of your prayers and all of your love and for every casserole and every cookie that was dropped by my house. I'm telling you, I am so blessed and so grateful. Um, Pastor David Busick did an awesome job last Sunday, don't you agree? It was great to have him here. And the Sunday before that, Chris Holcomb just knocked it out of the park. I was so proud of Chris, weren't you? David called me uh, right before my surgery and said, I'm going to pray for you that you'll recover, but I'm also going to pray that you will hear what God wants to say to you uh, during this time that you're down. And I said, you know, uh, my mother would say it a different way, David. I remember calling my mother once and saying, man, mom, I've got the flu and I'm going to be in bed for like three or four days and I really need to be at work and I've got a lot to do. And my mom's response was, oh, I don't know that that's so bad. And I said, what are you saying, mom? And she said, oh, I just think that when we get on our backs, we tend to look up. And you probably need to look up, you know. Don't you just love my mom, you know? And so um, I feel like the Lord had a lot to say to me in these last couple of weeks of resting. And, uh, and the one overwhelming thing that God seemed to remind me of, of how blessed I am and how good he is and how kind and gracious and loving and caring and how he has put such wonderful people in my life. And I'm talking about people like you. And I'm so thankful for every prayer that you prayed. Uh, it just means the world to me. We're in this season of Advent. It's a season of um, preparing ourselves as we celebrate the coming of Jesus into our world, into our lives, into our hearts. And so we created as Christians years and years ago what we call the Christian calendar. And what the Christian calendar does is helps us throughout the year to celebrate and remember the life of Jesus. And so right now... We begin the Christian year today on Advent Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, and we remember Jesus coming. So I'll tell you one story from my accident, and then we will leave the accident in the dust, okay? So here's, here's what happened. I was, I was eating dinner with my, my friend and my overseer, my district superintendent, Dr. Terry Rowland, my wife, his wife, Judy, and we were in Branson for some meetings with pastors, and so when we were leaving... Uh, that dinner, they, they had gone out the door. I had gone to the restroom. Annette's in the lobby of the restaurant. And I said, hey, you shouldn't go out. The car's kind of a long way away. Let me, let me go get the car and I'll come pick you up. It's just too cold outside. It was like 26, 7 degrees outside. And so one minute, you know, you're just kind of headed to get your car. And the next minute, you're laying on the pavement in the parking lot and... Your femur has been broken off at the ball joint that goes into your hip, you know. And, and I'm, I've kind of landed on my stomach and chest, and, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm there, and nobody knows that I'm there. It's a very quiet, dark parking lot, and, uh, and I roll over on my side to try to gather my bearings. And I happened to look down when I did, and uh, I've never... I'll save you the details, but I've never seen my leg look quite like that before, okay? And as I'm rolling over with my body, my leg is just kind of responding to my hips rotating, and it's kind of dragging across the pavement. And uh, and I knew immediately at that moment that my leg was broken. 
And so I, I raised my arm up because I saw a car kind of coming toward me. And, uh, and the people stopped and my wife met them and she said maybe they were in their late 60s. And I said to the man, would you please go in the lobby and get my wife? I've fallen, I've broken my leg, I, I can't get up. And uh, at that point, the pain hadn't yet quite hit. It was more shock. Um, he goes in, but his wife, this, this very, very precious lady, she comes over and she gets on her knees above me. And she locks her fingers like this. And I'm laid on my side and my head is just kind of hanging, you know. And she puts her hands under my head and she lifts my head up. And uh, she, she cradles my head in her hands, kind of creating a pillow for me to rest my head there, and uh, just begin to say very comforting things to me. It, it looks like it's just your leg. Um, I'm sure they're calling 911. Um, I'm sure help is going to be here in just a few minutes. And, and that whole time that I was laying there, that, that lady just remained there on her knees beside me, just saying comforting words to me. I never really got to see her face because of the position I was in, but I was, I was so thankful for her. When the EMT showed up, they took a look or two at me, and, uh, and my DS had thrown a blanket over me, and they took the blanket off, and I think it was just one look was all it took, and they just said, okay, put the gurney behind him. And the guy says, you're going to have to trust me. Uh, it's like ripping a Band-Aid off. This is the best way to do this. We're going to count to three and roll you over. And at that moment, when he started counting, I started begging, no, 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 because by this time my body was kind of doing this. I don't know if it was shock or if it was adrenaline or cold or a mixture of all three, but uh, I was kind of a mess by this point. And when they rolled me over, Annette says, Rick, I have never heard you scream that loud in your life, you know. Uh, they got me in the ambulance in seconds, and this little couple who had been so helpful went over to Annette took her hands, and with Dr. Roland and Judy, and they said, let us pray with you. Isn't that awesome? Didn't know anything about us. And they prayed, and Annette said, you know, my husband's a pastor, and he will love the fact that you prayed for him. And uh, they said, well, just tell him that a couple of old Methodists will keep praying for him. <laughs> and so as I've told the story over the past few days, there's been a couple of people who asked me, do, do you think... Do you think those people were maybe angels? And I said, no, I think they were just Methodists. <laughs> Not that an angel couldn't be a Methodist, you know. But what I really believe is that they were ordinary people. Who I believe God used in a very extraordinary way. In my life. To comfort me to love me and to care for me. And I wish there was some way in the world I could find that precious lady and uh, give her a hug and thank her for the way that she stood by me in that moment. When we think about this season of Advent, all of the stories that we find in the Scripture about Advent are simply about that. It's how that God does extraordinary things in the lives of the most ordinary people. And we just see it repeated over and over again. How God does just extraordinary things. And so you say, Rick, what do you mean by extraordinary? I mean, you know, like uh, wonder. 
mystery, uh, supernatural, things outside the realm of what is naturally possible. God just continues to do extraordinary things in the lives of the most ordinary people. And so I've got this one story that I'm really excited to share with you this morning. And over these next few weeks, we will share several of these stories. But it's a story that you find in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, okay? And we begin with some very ordinary people. Their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're relatives of the mother of Jesus, Mary, okay? And here's how the story goes. Typical of Luke, he wants to give you a time frame, okay? So when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest. His name was Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Now, when we think about people being in ministry today, like Zechariah was in ministry to the people of Israel, we think more in terms of being called to ministry. I think I've told you a story about this lady who kind of adopted me as a grandson. So I, I grew up kind of having this, uh, this third grandmother who was not actually related to me. But she invested a great deal in my life. And she used to tell me, she would say, Ricky, I pray every day, and I have since the day you were born, that God will call you to ministry someday. She used to say, I know that God's going to do it. And she would tell me that when I was a, a crawler, that she put me on one end of the room, and on the other end of the room, she put a bottle and a Bible. And she said, you crawled to the Bible instead of the bottle, which means you would become a preacher and not an alcoholic. <laughs> so if you do this with your kids, and I would not suggest that you do, would you please consider putting a few more options out there? Because I think those two are just a little bit drastic, if you know what I mean. But when she was 15, when I was 15, rather, she passed away. And when we buried her, I buried the idea of ever being in ministry. But when I was 19, God did something incredible in my heart. It was like I was born all over again. I got this new and better life. And as I began to walk with Jesus, almost instantly, I began to feel a distinct call to ministry. And all these years I've wondered if it was God simply answering the prayers of that little lady that invested so much and prayed for me so long. So when I think about ministry, I think about being called to ministry. Let, let me tell you something. Zechariah, it was a totally different story. For Zechariah, he was born into ministry. And so here's the way it happened for the Jewish people. If you were born a direct descendant of Aaron and you were male, you would become a priest. Okay? And so Zechariah would say, well, if I talk to you about my coming into ministry, I was born into the ministry. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. Now, Luke, what do you mean by righteous? And he defines it for us. And he says, what I mean by that is that they were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. Zechariah and Elizabeth said, God, whatever you want, that's what we want. The way that you want us to live that's how we want to live. What you want us to do, that's what we want to do. The kind of people that you want us to be, that's the kind of people we want to be. Bad news enters the story. They had no children. Because Elizabeth was unable 
to conceive. The bad news goes to worse news. And they were both very old. So not only do we have the bad news that they have lived with in their culture the disgrace of not having children, now they're very old and they're past the age of childbearing years. So one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. For his order was on duty that week. And as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now, there were several thousand priests in Zechariah's day. And all of the priests would serve at the main feast, like Pentecost and Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. However, other than that, your order, and he was in the order, remember, of Abijah, his order would serve once every six months in the temple in Jerusalem. So he might not have lived in Jerusalem, but every six months he travels to Jerusalem and he serves for a week in the temple of the Lord. Now there was one priest who was chosen to burn incense. And it was chosen by Lot. You said, what do you mean, like drawing names out of a hat? Well, kind of. And do you realize what's happening? It was his moment. Zechariah gets chosen. It was the dream of every priest to be able to burn incense before the morning sacrifice and after the evening sacrifice. And it was Zechariah's day. It's at this point that the supernatural occurs. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside, which was typical, and they were praying. So while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken. He was overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, like you and I would probably be if we saw an angel standing beside us. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Now, what prayer are we talking about here? Because obviously, Zechariah prayed many prayers. And then he says, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son. And you are to name him John. And you will have great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. And as we enter into the season of Advent, listen to these words. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Lives, Zechariah, are going to be changed forever. Now, I don't think I'm the only person in the room who's beginning to have some thoughts. And the thoughts tend to camp around, camp around rather out in one particular neighborhood. And it's this kind of thinking. I don't think I'm the only one that heard it. I think you heard it. Okay, so 
So we're all in agreement at this point that angels sometimes talk to men. You're, you're good with that. It, it, it's the extraordinary. The mystery. The wonder. The supernatural. Because if you stay with the stories of Advent, which we're going to do over the next few weeks, this isn't like the only time. Because as you move along another time an angel shows up and talks to a young teenage girl and the angel says to the teenage girl, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you even though you are a virgin and you are going to become expectant with a baby. And as a virgin, you are going to give birth to God. And I mean, it just continues. In another story, you got this choir of angels singing to shepherds. And you've got a star leading very wise men through continents. And if you really want to go all the way out there, okay, the most staggering claim maybe of Christianity is that the God who created everything, 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 becomes a man and moves into one of our neighborhoods. It's the wonder. It's, it's the mystery. It's, it's the supernatural. It's the extraordinary occurring. Everybody good? Everybody believe? I think, I think what happens many times in, in our own minds, in our own hearts, in our own thoughts... When we're confronted with the extraordinary, we often respond with questions. Wait, 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 wait a minute. What? How? When? Where? And, and it's what happens in the story. Let me give you some more of the text, okay? I stopped at one verse. Let me pick up there. So Zechariah said to the angel... Once he's confronted with the extraordinary, that God is going to do something crazy good. That, 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 that he and his wife Elizabeth, in their very old age, this elderly couple are going to have a baby. Zechariah said to the angel, well, how can I be sure this will happen? Because I am an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. I, I mean, there's something in me that wants to burst into the story and say, Hey, Zachariah, would you, just, would you just think about this for a minute? You're having a conversation with an angel, man. You know? I mean, just, you know, do you think maybe the supernatural might be a possibility at this point? You're killing me. I, I, I think what we, we tend to do when we are confronted with the extraordinary... Is that we respond in, in one of a couple of ways, and I'll just give you the extremes, okay? And the extreme on one side is to explain it away by rational explanation. I remember watching David Letterman say, and I always thought he was kind of a goofy, funny guy. We don't believe in all of this stuff that you read about in the Bible, do we? These things that happen outside the realm of what is natural. 
And then he says, no, we don't believe that. That's goofy stuff. He broke my heart. The word that we use to discuss that view is called naturalism. You familiar with it? It would simply say in that line of thinking that only the natural exists. There is no supernatural. If you can't see it with your eyes, if you can't touch it with your hands, if you can't hear it with your ears, then it's not real. Only the natural exists. The supernatural does not. I'm talking about God here. I'm talking about so much of what we read in Scripture. On the far other side of that conversation is a person who says, You know what? I believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ His Son. I'm okay with not being able to explain everything about God. So I had this conversation recently with a person who um, said, you know, I went through this season in my life where that, um, where that I really struggled to believe. Grew up in the church. Grew up in an awesome family. Believing had not been a challenge for me until that point in my life. But they said, I came to this place to where I didn't really know what I believed anymore. And what was worse, they said, I got to a point that I didn't know even if I did believe. And God walked with me through that wilderness. And I will never forget the day, they said, when I came to the place that I realized I did not have to, nor could I defend God. with scientific and historical truth. And I admitted to myself that who was I to think that I would ever fully comprehend God anyway? And there was something that was very freeing that came to me that said, it's okay that I will never fully understand God, nor can I put Him in a box and unpackage Him in a way that everybody else can fully understand Him. I think that we human beings are kind of interesting in that we want so desperately to understand God. But if we ever came to the place that we fully could, then He would cease to be God. Because part of what makes Him God is the mystery and the wonder. And so I don't know if you know who Francis Collins is or not, but he's one of the leading scientists in the world today. His work has taken him places that we thought few men could go scientifically. One of the brilliant minds. Someone gave me one of his books while I was resting at home over these last two weeks and I've been reading him. His work allowed him to stand in the presence of presidents and be honored by them because of his accomplishments. When he was a young adult, he decided, I'm an atheist. But a believer challenged him to ask some questions. And as a result, he began to read the works of C.S. Lewis, particularly mere Christianity, and he finally arrived at this point. He said, it became clear to me that science would get me no further in resolving the question of God. If God exists, then He must be outside the natural world. 
And therefore the tools of science are not the right ones to learn about Him. The evidence of God's existence would have to come from other directions. And the ultimate decision would be based on faith, not proof. We don't really call it the Christian proof. We call it the Christian faith. But our faith is based on something. And for many of us, we have said to ourselves, over the years I have caught glimpses and hints of the extraordinary. And I believe. You believe. What are you going to do with it? You're going to leave. You're not going to sit here all week. You'll be gone in a few minutes. And I think the question always is, is, well, what does the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth have to offer us? How do we apply this to our lives? What are we going to do once we walk out the doors? So I have a friend whose name is Dave, and Dave tells the story about how he and his wife understood Zechariah and Elizabeth very well because he said for 14 years... We prayed that God would give us a child, and for 14 years, there seemed to be no answer to our prayer. And he said, in our darkest, lowest moment, we were tempted to believe that God had decided, in our darkest and lowest moment, we were tempted to believe that God had decided that everybody in the world would make great parents but us. But after 14 years of waiting, and hoping, and praying... God gave us a little girl. And I know that little girl who is now grown. And two years later, God gave us a little boy. See, I I think in this season where we focus so much on promises being fulfilled, I think it's a painful reminder to those that are sitting with us who are saying, you know, Rick, Promises have not yet been fulfilled in my life. And I've got a feeling that there's many of you saying, just just want to go on record, Pastor Rick, not bitter, just hurting a little bit, you know. At our house, we're still hoping. We're still waiting. We're still praying. You see, that's what Advent is. It's it's about waiting. It's about hoping. It's about praying. Right? For Zachariah and Elizabeth, we're, we're, we're praying for a baby. We think we got a lot of love to give. And this shame, this disgrace that comes in our culture of not being able to have children, it's tough. For the people of Israel, it was all about... God is going to come and set things right finally. And justice is going to be served. What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? What are you praying for? You know, this morning, 
I got my phone when it was time for me to pray. And I prayed for a bunch of people. I'm waiting for cancer to be defeated. In the lives of about five or six people right now. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting right now for these uh, three or four men that God has put in my life. I want them to come to know Jesus. That's another thing I'm waiting and hoping and praying for. I'm still praying and I'm still hoping and I'm still waiting for a young man to stand up and walk again. You relate to it, don't you? We're all waiting. And I think it's when you're in that time frame of waiting and hoping and praying. I think that's when the enemy works on us and we do all kinds of goofy stuff. We, we blame, right? I wonder if God's punishing me. I wonder if it's something I've done, you know. And for the Jewish people of Zechariah and Elizabeth's day, they had it figured out. They were not confused. They believed they knew what was up. And if you were child, without child, if you were barren, it was completely divine disapproval. God was upset at you. You were not something you were supposed to be. But man, that theory gets shot to pieces when you read verse 6. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous. Whatever you want, God, it's what we want. Whatever you want us to be, that's what we want to be. Whatever you want us to do, that's what we want to do. God, we are only going to live our lives to honor you. And so out of that comes a couple of truths. They're not deep. You may grin when you watch me put them on the screen. But I believe this morning that somebody needs to hear these words. Righteous people have problems too. People who go to church and live generously and immerse themselves in the Word of God and pray fervently and share their faith. See, people who love Jesus have problems too. But it's never been just about your righteousness nor my righteousness. It's always been about God's faithfulness. Don't forget that. But the other thing I want to say to you is that righteous people sometimes have doubts. The Bible says Zechariah is a righteous man. And the angel says, guess what, Zechariah? Your wife is going to have a baby. Zechariah says, but how? I mean, rationally, I just can't make sense of this, right? Righteous people sometimes have doubts about the extraordinary, the mystery, the wonder, the supernatural, the miraculous. And God walks with us through those seasons of doubts. So what happens in the story as we continue to move and we learn these things as you get to verse 19. Let me, let me give you these words, okay? Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I, I mean, you've got to hear this. I stand in the very presence of God. 
right now, I'm standing in the presence of God, Zechariah, and it was He who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent, unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. I don't want to come across harsh or strong, but but this is good, okay? Because in essence, I think this is what God was trying to say to Zachariah. You ready? Would you just be quiet and watch God do His work? Zachariah, would you just be quiet already? <laughs> and watch God do the extraordinary. Zechariah, would you be quiet and dare to believe that God is going to work in ways you never dreamed He could? I, I think there's inspiration here, and I think the inspiration is when when the angel says he will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah and he will prepare the way for God. Listen to me. This is hard. What may have seemed like a delay on the part of God is in reality perfect timing. God had a plan. And so you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're wondering, do you hear me praying, God? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you know what we're dealing with down here? And sometimes it just seems like maybe God is delayed. And what sometimes seems like a delay on the part of God is in fact perfect timing. God is always on time. God is never Late in hearing your prayers. Oh, somebody just give me one amen out here. Somebody just, you know. So let me close with this. Advent's about waiting. Maybe you're waiting. It's, it's, it's about preparing ourselves for the coming of Jesus. But not just... 2,000 years ago. It's about preparing ourselves for Him to come to us now and work in ways that might be extraordinary. Mystery, wonder, miraculous, supernatural. You might be waiting like Zechariah and Elizabeth waited for a baby or like the people of Israel were waiting for the Messiah. Would you believe with me? I dare you to believe that God has heard you pray and that He is prepared to work in your life in an extraordinary way and do what you never dreamed God would do. 
and answer your prayers in ways that you never believed it was possible for God to answer and bless you in ways that you would have never considered God blessing you. I dare you to believe. And so let's invite him to come now. Amen? Would you stand with me? And some of you are going to serve us this morning, and would you please come and uh, prepare to do that now. The band will come, and we will sing together. So here's, here's the offer that I make to you. As good Wesleyans, we would say, if you are sincerely seeking Jesus this morning, please feel free to, uh, to partake. And so in a moment, a tray is going to pass by you, and uh, there will be two cups stacked together. Take both of those cups in the stack. In the lower cup, there's a piece of bread, and you can put that into your hand. And then the upper cup, there's the drink. And if you will hold on to that until everybody has been served, then we, as a family, we will eat and we will drink together. Okay? So prepare your hearts in these moments to receive God's grace. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.